You are listening to episode 225 of Game Inflators Podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Inflators Podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and it's Vectrix 2 Electric Boogaloo in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. Is that what you called it the first time, uh, Vectrix Boogaloo? No. Like no. the first time we did Vectrix? No, I don't, I don't I don't believe so. I don't know what I said the first time. I don't know. That sounds very familiar. Well, I I probably used Electric Boogaloo before because that's the classic sequel. Oh, I gotcha. So, uh, yeah, we played a little bit of Vectrix this week. Uh, Multicart. So, um, I think it's 3.0 or 3.5 or something I bought a long time ago. But it's got like 35 games on there. It's hacked, technically. And it's like all in one cart and um, it's got unlimited lives. So it's a lot of fun and we're going to go over that in our inflation deflation this week. But first, uh, you can find the Game Inflators on thegameinflators.com or out of date website on YouTube. We've got shorts, we've got videos, we've got lots of fun stuff on there. Check it out, subscribe, hit the little bell. Uh, We'd love it if you did that. And, uh, of course, the podcast application you're listening to right now uh, and also other podcast apps. Feel free to leave a five-star review, if not a ten-star review, if possible. And on social media, you can find us as Game Deflators on Twitter, because they don't like the, and at the Game Deflators on Instagram and Facebook. Dang, John. Good good read. I got it. Every week it, it gets mixed up, right? So I always mix up the Twitter to Facebook. I might do our website first. I might do our YouTube last. You never know. I'm going to surprise you every week. <laughs> Stick around to find out (laughs) what happens next week. All right, let's talk our recent pickups and are currently playing. Uh, Me and typical tradition had to pick up something uh, regardless, right, of what it was. So I'm going to sell this, but I got a PlayStation 4 gold controller the other day. Oh, you know what? I did pick up something else in that uh, that bag over there. There's a a slim 250 gigabyte PlayStation 3 of two controllers. Oh, sick. Yeah, I picked that up for $40. Dang. Yeah, right? So. Yeah, you just forgot about a whole PlayStation. I just forgot I had a whole PlayStation, yeah. I think uh, I got like one PlayStation controller. Oh, also a bag with two other controllers and a whole PlayStation. Yeah, I also grabbed like 70 Skylanders for like $40. So I'm going to... Too much Skylanders. Yeah, that's why it's on eBay. <laughs> so I'm not, uh, I'm not doing anything with that. You and everybody else's Skylanders, probably. I Yeah, exactly. There's got to be a million lots of Skylanders. Dude, online. like I didn't even get a bid for like 60 bucks on it. I was like, are you kidding me? Like... If somebody wants Skylanders, like 60 bucks is my minimum on that. I'm not taking anything less because I need to at least break even, right? Um, Sounds like you shouldn't have bought a bunch of Skylanders. I probably shouldn't have. Uh, So that's going to stay online until somebody buys it. And if it doesn't get purchased, well, I'll just chalk it up as a loss, right? Uh, But I did pick that up. And as far as... Or you could play all of Skylanders. I, I would, except I just sold my copy of Giants and Spyro's Adventure. Because I, I got those like several weeks ago. That was a whole $10 before shipping that I sold it for. So I might make $4 on that transaction. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then as far as what I'm currently playing, uh, Cardia. I'm still playing Cardia. So we'll dive into this one really quick because we dove into it last week. Uh, it is okay. So I would say right now, if I had, I was thinking about this earlier, if I had to give this a star rating or a out of 10 rating, it would currently be a 6.5 for me. I would put the story at an 8. I would put the battling and gameplay at a 5. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's so drawn out. Um, The battle I just finished uh, last night, first off, I fell asleep halfway through the battle. And then woke up and was like, okay, I got to get back to this battle and finish it. So that battle had like 15 enemies. I'm like, why? Why is there 15 enemies? And it's not even like... A critical part of the story of like you're battling just one person no it's just a battle I'm like oh we need you to go to the edge of the river in x city and just and like investigate and then like oh no there's 12 thieves all of which did not attack me by the way they just tried to avoid me and then multiple enemies i'm like okay cool but then you get into the story component. In the story component, there's like some backstabbing going on. There's some uh, secret murders that have happened over a period of time. There's one character who I thought was evil, but now he's not evil. I'm like, that's pretty cool. 
and all of the like all these character dynamics are really building on each other and it's pretty cool but the battle system uh the battle system's okay it's more so the actual battles the time that takes and just the amount of them like i'd be okay if it was just like one enemy and like it was a boss and that boss had a ton of hp and i had a battle it's that or like in this case a crap ton of enemies that half of them are like okay the other ones are just like it, it just ends up being a, like a healing parade and like trying to strategically use like magic spells and it's ridiculous. And I did learn though recently uh, while playing is that if you, when you move up to an enemy and you hit attack and it kind of like previews who you're attacking or selecting, it'll tell you how much damage you can do. Mm. So you can be pretty strategic in that respect too. So I've gotten to a point where I'm like, okay, cool. Like this guy, I'll walk him up. Oh, he'll do 25 damage. All right, well, what if this guy comes up? Oh, 45 damage. Let me go ahead and use this to kill this enemy off so I can proceed a little faster in my battles. Okay, that makes it a little bit better. Yeah, so it makes, dude, it is sped it up a lot. because And it has, like, the percentage, like, what type of chance do you have of hitting the enemy so it's on a, you know, 100% scale. So we're like, oh, 95% chance of hitting this enemy, and you'll do 45 damage. And then here's the damage that they'll do to you if they hit you, and here's their percentage if they attack you back. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, you just break it out like that. So it's it's been pretty good in that respect. Um, so I'm okay with that. But yeah, just in general, it's a little drawn out. Uh, I think I'm on like chapter 13 with uh, Lacrima. So almost done with the first part. And then Toxa is the other one. So I'm about almost 50% done with the game. Um, but it's taken me forever, dude. And like, it's not like I'm sitting back watching One Piece anymore, right? Like... It's more so I'm playing this game and it's just taking a while yeah. to, to get through it. Uh, and then outside of that, uh, so my wife and I, as you know, we were playing Catherine. We took a pause on that because of, you know, the Last of Us TV show. And she really wanted to play Last of Us. And I was like, okay, well, I don't really want to buy the PS5 one, um, even though I've heard it looks fantastic. I was like, but let me see what I've got. And I had The Last of Us remastered um, digital download through PS4 when they released like the PlayStation Plus collection. So I happened to have that one just in case down the road she wanted to play and, well, she wanted to play. I have that one and I I don't even know where I got it from because I never even really played through the first one, like the actual Oh, yeah, the physical? Yeah, that one and the PS4 one somehow, both. Gotcha. Interesting. You know, I just realized you still have my physical games. My uh, Quantum Dream Collection Street Fighter. No, I brought those back to you you a few weeks ago. Oh, I could have sworn you still had them. Okay. Oh, interesting. Uh, Well, yeah, so as far as Last of Us concerned, we just got past, uh, what's his name? Robert, I think, is who you're chasing down, who steals your guns. So uh, basically, we just met Ellie. Mm. Like, Joel just got Ellie um and and Tess and they're kind of trying to get out of um the QZ basically mm-hmm. like that's what's going on and yeah we took a pause on it last night she started falling asleep and we we're like all right well we're done for tonight and we'll just pick it up next time so but she's enjoying it so far good yep how about yourself so i uh borrowed my buddy's switch this week because he downloaded metroid prime Rema- remake or remastered and already finished it Uh, So I was going to play some of that. I played a very little bit of it, like enough to get down to like the main planet. And that's about it. Maybe explore it around a little bit. Uh, So I'll be hopefully jumping into some more of that this week. And then I'm still playing um, Brave Fencer Musashi and trying to get through that. I've got like five of the scrolls and I just need to get the last one. And I'm pretty close to the end, I think. I don't think I have a whole lot left, like... Maybe less than a quarter of the game, I hope. Nice. Yeah, so this should be a, a win for me. should finally get another game done. Yeah, it's a cool one to get done, too. It's, like I said, oh, probably last podcast or uh, episode or two before that, but that's one that's on my list for mm-hmm. sure to get done at some point. It's a good one. It's yep. definitely interesting. And then I have been playing a little bit of Borderlands 3 online with some friends. That's going well. Uh, Borderlands is a pretty fun series. The writing is definitely what everybody said it was. It's it's a little bit much in this one. So not really paying too much attention to the story. Mostly just kind of run around seeing what the crazy cool guns are and trying to have a good time with friends. Nice. That's about it for me this week, though. Pretty quick segment. So uh, let's talk some discussion topics. So 
wanted to get your thoughts on this one. So obviously I'm a little more active on social media than you are when it comes to like Facebook threads and other things that we're doing on there. And, you know, I, I posted something about Hogwarts legacy being review bombed, right? Like, Oh, what are a chance it gets review bombed? And somebody commented like, I don't know, two weeks or three weeks after the fact, I was like, that's interesting to start. But they had mentioned, Oh, well, Hogwarts legacy sucks. It's got all of these game breaking bugs. Like the game's completely unplayable. Uh, the devs are stupid, like they're, they're low paid, they're not good, um, they have no idea what they're doing, they don't update anybody on what's happening with the game for patches, uh, it's been unplayable since their day one patch, so 214, etc, etc, etc. And I was like, okay, well, a couple questions, you know, that kind of came up for me are, uh, one, what are you playing on? Because on PS5, I haven't seen anything game breaking, like I haven't seen an inability to save or anything that's messed up. And then uh, two, um, you know, what insight do you have that the devs are low paid and that that's the reason that X is happening, right? And like, what do you mean by, I think they mentioned it was like a PR nightmare. I'm like, I don't see anything negative online. Like there's no articles, there's nothing like banging down a door of port key games to say, you guys have done a shit job. So basically, long story short, they're super angry about like some bugs in the game. And they said that port key games is like actively deleting bugs or bug reports from their website. And I'm like, okay, so a few things to consider here. Uh, developers, or these developers released a patch on day one, right? Yeah, it might be game breaking for some people, but the vast majority of people are fine. Like there's no issues. Uh, on top of that, there's a lot of code to go through. So you're here two weeks after the fact, demanding that certain bugs are repaired right away. And, you know, we're two weeks after release, right? There's copious amounts of code, there's testing, there's the fact that, like, when you fix one thing, something else breaks, hence, you know, some people experiencing some sort of issue. Um, Game-breaking issues could occur if, like, Ryan picks up item A in one location at X time uh, during the game, and coding-wise is built out so that later on, X happens, Right. Um, whereas if I picked up at a different time coding wise, it might not happen, uh, mm-hmm. based on timing in the game and how it's all worked out. So it's just interesting that like somebody who gets so frustrated over, you know, this developer and their game and like they had mentioned a lack of updates, which is untrue. Uh, port key games has actively said, Hey, we're working on certain bugs that are occurring and, you know, we'll have information later on. And as far as deleting all of these reports, as long as they keep the first report and all of it's consolidated into one report, I think that's fair, right? For a developer to put all updates in one thread versus like 50 different reports coming in for the same bug and then people having to go scroll through all of these different bug reports that are literally the same. So my question to you is, as gamers, what type of patience should we have for developers when it comes to these patches in 2023 uh, and in this new world of gaming. So if you buy a game day one these days, like that's just kind of the risk you run. Like no developer anymore has the, you know, real luxury or very few have the real luxury of finishing their game before they sell it to you, which sucks for us and them. And once you spend your money on something, I mean, you do have a right to complain about it and you do have a right to like demand that it become, you know, a better product. If they had the ability to do it with the flip of a switch, they would, which is obviously not the reality we live in. So, you know, there's a way to be, you know, a good consumer. Yeah. Like just wait, like if you really aren't, going to be able to just chill out and play what you can or accept you know what bugs are there be they as they may right now then you know don't buy the game now wait until the game is fully done and everybody says okay now's the time to play and then go back and do it then like it's definitely not like an excuse games should come out finished as opposed to the way they do now but that's just not the reality we live in anymore and publishers know it so they're going to get away with it whenever they can i do want to bring something up on this too if you were gaming back on like the n64 or the playstation one if there was a bug in your playstation one game good luck that was how the game was (laughs) yeah there was no patch 
N64, guess what happened? You know why we have those Turok games and the No Mercy game that are like three and $400? Because the game was broken and there's no patch for it. So you'd have to literally message or really mail the publisher of a game and say, hey, this game is broken. And then they would say, okay, cool. Ship it and we'll send you a new one. And that's how you got those those rare titles. But the fact that not everybody did that is why they're so rare. There weren't like reissues on these games that came out. Atari games, if it's broken, it's broken. Super Nintendo, if there's a bug, it's in there forever. There's nothing you can do until, well, nowadays where you have digital copies. So I think that's just reality of gaming and where it's kind of come. It sucks. I hate the fact that these games come out unfinished and with no patches uh, or with patches already, uh, you know, day one. But that is what it is. But, you know, I'll, I will bring up, too, the game that we played for next week, uh, which got me pumped to record this episode, too. There was no patch or anything. There was no download when we load up a game. Everything was ready to go. Well, that game was probably already released digitally a long time ago and already finished and stuff. So That's, now this release is a that final is, copy that you could like take to a deserted island and play. Yeah, and, and that's fine. You know, the fact it was physically released, there's nothing going on. And like premium edition games, when they uh, they don't release something until everything is complete on the game. Yeah. Bugs are fixed. There's no DLC because the DLC is already loaded in. Like, that's something that they specifically uh, like to do as well. And so the game that we're, we're going to talk about next week is Eldest Souls um, from Limited Run Games. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just booted up and you're good to go. You start playing. I was so excited about that. Because there wasn't that like thirty minute download. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay. So uh, I don't know if you have anything else on on the topic in general, but it sounds like we're both kind of in the same mindset that like there's not really much that you can do personally. Just kind of be patient. Yeah, you could shout in the void. Just don't you know shout explicatives about the devs. They're doing the best that they can. Hopefully, that's what bugged me. It was it was the like getting on the devs about. I'm like. They're being pushed. There's nothing that they can do about it. And I, I've worked with devs or have worked with devs for a number of years. I totally get it, man. There's a lot of work that goes in on the back end to make this stuff happen. And it's not just, that's it, yeah. you know? So, all right. Uh, so this week, we've got a few things we're going to talk about. The first one uh, is a super quick, just kind of touch base. Um, so 50 years of landmark video games, uh, one per year, all playable on Nintendo Switch. Uh, that's Gavin Lane at Nintendo Life. Uh, we've also got uh, Sony might have to reveal what it pays for exclusives uh, via court. And that's Luke Plunkett at Kotaku. Uh, over $30 million worth of Funko are heading to the landfill, so a la E.T., and uh, this one is Ethan Gack at Kotaku. And then Ethan Gack is also the writer of this other one we're going to cover. Square Enix CEO who constantly pushed NFTs is set to be replaced. So we'll start the first one here. And that is the 50 years of landmark video games. We can go real quick. But it's it's basically looking at 50 years of gaming uh, and everything that you can play on the Switch. Just literally, you know, every single possible game. So it has like Atari, for example, is one of the games on there, I think, for... 72 technically so, or 73 yeah this is like one game per year for the last 50 years since 1971 starting with the oregon trail so like it's obviously not talking about the original oregon trail release but like there is a version of oregon trail started in 1971 available on the switch and then for the next 50 years there's at least one game a year that are all playable on this console and that's actually really cool. Like, I don't know that there's ever, I mean, obviously there hasn't really been consoles for 50 years until now, but I don't know that any other console really has that necessarily. Like maybe you can on PlayStation and Xbox as well, but like, it's still remarkable that as a handheld device, you know, made by Nintendo that you can have actually all this history in one place. I will say, by the way, the Magnavox Odyssey came out in 72. Just going to throw it out there. Yeah. Pong so, was their 72 game. Yeah. On the list. But yeah, there's just, it's a whole bunch of different games. And yeah, it goes from the olden days where everything's like Atari for the first couple pages all the way up till, you know, modern games and what's coming out this year. So that's a cool, like, way to go back. Maybe a fun challenge to do. Like, if you wanted to go back and play your way through time or... You know, if you're showing your kids like old games, this is saying that these games and titles are still available for future generations. So we talk a lot about preservation and, you know, making sure that games are going to be around. This is 
not saying that that's a perfect world, but this is a cool peek at that happening. Just go over the last eight years, kind of give you an idea here on these landmark games. You had starting in 2014, you got Mario Kart 8, uh, The Witcher 3, Wild Hunt, um, Stardew Valley is on here too. Yep, Stardew Valley. Uh, the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. We would get murdered if we didn't like mention that. Smash Bros. Ultimate. Uh, Dragon Quest Eleven. Um, Animal Crossing, of course, would have to be there. That's uh, everyone's COVID game. You've got Metroid Dread. And then we've got Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Followed up with the future. 2023. What is it going to be for the landmark game? So check that out. We'll have a link within, um, you know what, I'll actually post it right now live on our, technically recorded, but live on our Facebook page. So you can find it on there and you can of course like our Facebook page while you're at it. And while you're there liking it, you might want to keep your eyes out to see uh, if you can find us talking about this more in the future when these numbers come out. But yeah, Sony might have to reveal what it pays for exclusives, Court says. Uh, in that whole acquisition case, it seems like Microsoft is getting a bit of a you know inside look and they're going to let us all peek through the curtain too. So in some of the requested documents that Microsoft has made to the court to say, hey, you know what, we need some information from Sony to help our defense to show, you know, this is what they're dealing with. This is what we're up against. You know, the market share here. This should be a fair acquisition for us to compete with. So Sony has been paying for exclusive titles forever. You know, Final Fantasy kind of came to other systems and it kind of is going away from other systems. You know, not exclusively. Like there's still like Theater Rhythm just came out for Switch. You know, it's not only on PlayStation, but a lot of things are only on PlayStation or only on PlayStation for a while. And nobody does that for free. And nobody honestly has those ideas for free either. So what they want to find out a lot is how much are they paying and are there incentives tied to those? You know, are execs at Sony making extra bonus money for signing extra exclusives? Like throughout all that structuring is going to determine, you know, what is their main market strategy versus what is Xbox's and what is fair? Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be, I really want to see like all of the back end deals that happen here. So I'm really hoping to see this type of stuff get revealed in court. Uh, and just like you said, take a peek behind the curtain and see what's actually going on. It's going to be super cool uh, to see this type of stuff, hopefully see it revealed. Yeah, and you know, there's been so much uh, speculation about this this week. People are really excited because we don't really get these kind of numbers ever. So this is really going to be a first look for us to see you know, how much does it cost to pay a publisher to make a game just for you and exclude all the rest of that market they could be selling to? Well, you know what's interesting is that Microsoft is bringing this up now, but I remember back when the 360 came out and one of the ways they were trying, and actually one of the ways that they got a, a good foothold in that generation was through timed exclusivity. So like Bioshock was initially released as like an Xbox exclusive. It wasn't mm -hmm. even labeled as a timed exclusive. Uh, so there were a number of titles that were exclusive to Xbox that came out later on down the road. So, I mean, they played the same game. So, yeah. you know, I, I guess what I kind of want to get across is like Microsoft isn't innocent in this either. It's not they're just trying to find something negative against Sony that they can utilize to, of course, move this acquisition forward. And I said it last week. I still think the acquisition will go through. Uh, in fact, I think the EU is yeah, planning they're on moving leaning it through. towards at least that's what rumors are saying. They're saying sources are saying that it's looking like they're leaning towards approving. Yeah, because of how Microsoft has handled the Call of Duty on like other consoles in 10-year mm -hmm. period. Hooking blah, up blah, with blah. NVIDIA and Nintendo. Yeah. What's ridiculous about that, though, is like, okay, it's a 10-year deal, which is essentially the next console lifespan. So it's it just, like one or two more games. Yeah, right. It's like basically, well, not necessarily because they've released X yeah, amount of Yeah, because they're like an every other year title. That's right. Yeah. So, but what worries me about this acquisition is the number of titles or IPs that Activision actually owns that are going to be exclusive to Microsoft. It's, yeah. it's not even Call of Duty. Like it's, you know, Warcraft that's on there. You've got Starcraft technically is on there as well. Um, 
you know, obviously we've talked Crash Bandicoot is one of those titles. Not like it's a huge title, but Crash Bandicoot is owned by Activision. Why'd you oh, give me that yeah. look? Yeah. I, I just didn't really realize if, that. Yeah, if you look at the IPs that Activision actually owns, it's quite a lot. And so you're going to see a lot of games that could technically be exclusive. So it's like, oh, you want to... I think Tony Hawk is technically Activision as well. Hmm. So, I mean, there's tons. What I... Uh also looked up this week that I thought was interesting kind of related to all this was, you know, there's other countries that have to approve this too. And I found articles from back in January. I didn't find anything more recent than that. And I didn't do a whole lot of digging, but uh, Japan was like set to approve this. Really? Which is like, you know, on one hand, that's where Sony's from, you know, and Xbox is like the competitor to the Japanese market. But Sony has like a 95% market share compared to Xbox there yeah. or something crazy. So it's like, could they even say that it would affect that market or that they would be opposed to it for those reasons? Because like it's just such a overwhelming domination by one side. How could you deny them that little thing, even though it's a giant thing? Yeah. But it's just like, I'm wondering if it's, really per market like when they say chile and saudi arabia and other places that have already approved it like what's the balance between sony and microsoft in all these individual countries like i'm sure that if i read enough online i could find those answers i would really love to just see you know bar graphs or or percentage numbers on a map or something showing but it was just kind of a surprising thing for me to see that like that wasn't really a contested place yeah, considering well, that's where a lot of this is coming from. Well, we've mentioned it before that like each respective country has their regulators that are going to approve or disapprove certain things from going through. And it just, you know, just basically determines that certain products can be sold. It's not saying Microsoft can't sell anything in certain countries, just saying no, anything that's Activision. This. Well, no, they can acquire it. They can acquire it all they want. They just wouldn't be able to do that business in that country. Mm. So, oh, you have Spyro and you want to release Spyro in, you know, the EU? Well, guess what? We didn't approve of you to release or acquire Activision, so that's not happening. You can't release that here because it's part of that. You can't do that business. So that's why if these – and that's like Microsoft is going to go through with this deal. It's going to close. Whether or not they can do business in these countries is the other thing uh -huh. um, with that specific acquisition. So that's what makes it appealing. That's why it hasn't closed yet because once all of these places say, yep, we're good to go, then they can start moving forward towards closure and then kind of you know start putting games out, obviously. All right. Uh, and I guess talking about um, – you know, garbage. Yeah. Garbage, right? It's uh, <laughs> over $30 million worth of Funkos are heading to the landfill. So, uh, Funko actually opened up a facility out here in Arizona and on their last stock call, they said that they are bleeding money because the amount of overstock that they have that is in shipping containers out in their facility in Arizona. And so I think it's out by Goodyear, if I'm correct, or Buckeye. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't remember where, but basically there's going to be a landfill in Arizona. So now you have New Mexico of ET, you've got Arizona of, uh, uh, what is it? Garagu, I think is the name of the little, uh, green guy. Grogu. Grogu. Yeah. Uh, I guess technically Garagu, Grogu. Uh, so there are going to be a lot of Funko Pops that are going into the trash and, you know, I understand why they're doing it because, because they're terrible. They are. I mean, <laughs> couldn't you technically recycle the, the vinyl? I mean, and do something with it. Like, why? I don't know. Uh, you know, so like, Funkos are horrible, man. Like, I remember when they first started coming out. Like, I have several, and I don't think I've ever purchased one. Yeah, I got that one out of Loot Crate too, and that's yeah. one that I like actually because yeah. it's like it's a Batman but Joker colored Batman. Well, and the little Stranger Things one is technically a Funko Mini. Okay, a Funko Mini is apparently a thing too. I didn't realize that, but like, yeah, I think uh, I think Funkos are terrible. I like vinyl figures. I do. I really like minis and and all that stuff, but I just have never really liked Funko. I thought they made way too many. I don't understand why. Like everyone has one. You yeah. can get one of yourself. Yeah, it's it's too much. Like all of these things, as soon as somebody starts having like success with something, everybody wants to replicate something. I know like high end vinyl toys are collectibles and stuff uh, made by designers. You know, I'm super interested in all that. I would love to be able to make like vinyl toys one day. I think that that would be a really cool thing to do. But Funkos are just 
not where it's at, man. And this is just such a huge waste and just like oh, the environment hurts for the amount of Funkos just getting dumped into its maw. And you think collecting video games is bad? Uh, you know, Jason at Corpse Love Games is going to hate me for this, but collect toys. Like, talk about taking up space mm. and keeping packaging and everything else for those those items. Funko's like the worst of the worst when it comes to that because you got all these little boxes. Some of them are big boxes. Tons of plastic, tons of waste that comes into, like, just packaging these things. And then on top of that, it's a vinyl, <laughs> you know? Um and they just make so damn many. If you go to Hot Topic, they're there. If you go to... They're everywhere. Uh, they have whole stores at the mall that are just Funko yeah, stores now. My my old uh, video game store I used to work at, our boss got into buying Funkos. And he had he has, on the Gulf Coast, the largest amount of Funkos in Florida, basically, or wow. in, in the Gulf Coast. Like, that's how many he's got. And people go to him for Funkos because they he gets all the... He tries to get as many rare ones. He doesn't try to get everything, although he does for the most part but when he's buying funkos he's not buying like 10 of this one and 20 of that one and he's buying like okay i want two of this and i want two because it's more demand right yeah yeah if i've only got two of that well then you're likely going to buy that and then buy another and buy another etc and so that's what he does and uh yeah i mean we used to he used to make good money he would buy them for like I want to say it was like $8 of Funko and he would sell them for $15 a piece or like two for 25 and we would sell them all the time. And that's just kind of reality of what it is, but they've gotten to a point where it's like comic books or old baseball cards in the nineties. They're just making everything and anything to get Funkos out in the market. And uh, now it's going to get the ET effect. And uh, I'm kind of excited, but kind of disappointed at the same time. So I really do think that, you know, is there an opportunity to recycle this stuff uh, and all of the packaging that comes with it? Or And I get why they're doing this versus putting it out. Because, like, the distribution aspects and logistics that are tied to it, you're going to waste a lot more money trying to sell them. And they're them, not going to sell. And they're not going to sell. And then they're they're going to get marked down, and then the store is going to lose the money. And then on top of that, that makes your product look bad because, oh, well, why do I have to buy this Funko now knowing it's going to go down in price? So now you devalue your overall product. And you can't give them out for free because if you do, well, now you've devalued your product further. Um, unless, you know, you send it to, like, I don't know, developing countries globally, and you just ship it out and, like, <laughs> No, I mean, like, there's kids out there who might like some of these things, you know? I mean, think about what they do with the Super Bowl t-shirts of the losing team. Yeah. Or, like, you know, they ship it off to some random country, and, like, that's, you know, they donate those clothing. Why can't you do that with toys? I guess just the logistics of it is more than what they want to deal with. But that could be a write-off, because you're donating it. You're not just dumping it. I don't know, man. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, there's options. I'm just asking questions. There's options, dude. I'm just asking questions. All right. I think it's the ethical thing to do, but, you know, business is going to be business. All right. Last one here before we dive into our uh, discussion. Square more Enix. garbage. <laughs> yeah, more garbage. Square Enix CEO constantly pushed NFTs uh, is going to be replaced. Uh, so basically, they had a CEO who'd been in there for about 10 years. I don't remember his name offhand. You might have it pulled up. I'm pulling it up right now. Because, I mean, you know what? He's been the NFT bro there Uh uh, Yosuke Matsuda. Yeah. So he's been the NFT bro there for the last couple years. But I mean, well, there been has there for been 10. good stuff that's come out while he's been there. It's not like he's been all NFT the whole time because they haven't been around for 10 years. But, you know, the last two years on his like, not earnings call, but whatever like yearly announcement that he gets to like address everybody. He's been calling for NFTs and blockchain stuff and how they're investing in that. And then they got rid of their whole like Western division and man, that was not good. You know, all their games coming out, not meeting the mark. And their stock has not been very good as of late. So it makes sense that they're getting rid of them. This guy's getting ousted. And you know what? Some new blood to come in, out with the NFTs, in with the guy who's all in favor of Metaverse. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, not so fast. <laughs> On to the new trend. Uh, yeah, so the guy that they're bringing in, he's been at the company for about two years. He came from some other developer or some other company. No, he came company. from, he was the general manager at Dentsu Innovation Initiative, a business group exploring exciting opportunities in, and among other things, the Metaverse. All right, so developer of sorts or tech company. So basically, yeah, general manager of that company. Um, and that's not to say NFTs are going away from the grand scheme of things of what they're doing as Square. Because if that stuff was actively in development, the CEO aspect is let's replace it with a new figurehead with, like you said, new blood, new ideas, 
Um, and of course, they're not just going to throw away all efforts that have gone into blockchain and NFT because they've used those resources. In fact, that would affect their stock even more to say, nope, we're not even going to explore this anymore. We just went ahead and like blew up all this you know, all these funds for shareholders. Even though that's year. actually what happened. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with this guy long term. But it seems like Square is going deeper into the tech aspect, um, you know, I guess more so than what you can in video games. And that might include metaverse. It might include, I don't know, more VR in general. They're just chasing trends. Like one thing that we should learn or everybody in the industry should learn especially from the last month with all the closing of all of these live service games is trend chasing is not really going to pay off in the end. Most of the time, you know, what you need to focus on is doing what people want games. They go to play video games for video games. Don't try to turn your video game company into a metaverse company. Go to a metaverse company and work there. Then don't get your metaverse all over my games. That's not what I want you for. Well, and dude, Square has so many like older RPGs that they just started announcing remakes of those games. They could probably make hand over fist dollars. I mean, they have been doing really well with their remake stuff, and so has everybody else. But like, we haven't even heard anything about Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two. Yeah, and dude, I, I was so angry when I got announced, and like, it's gonna be three damn games when it comes out, and sure as hell it was, and sure as hell it's taken so long. But I mean, like, you've got games like Octopath Traveler 2 just came out, and that's selling really well, apparently. And, uh, you know, they have a ton of other titles, especially Final Fantasy titles. If they did, like, Final Fantasy VI remade into modern, you know, graphics, I mean, dude, they would make so much money on games like that. Just a re-release of every single Final Fantasy remade. Like, from 1 to whatever the hell they're on right now. 16, technically. Yeah. No, I mean they would they would make a ton of money. Sixteen is probably going to do really well too. Like it's pretty hyped up. They just did uh, an invite with a bunch of people to go to Japan, reviewers and YouTubers and stuff, and I heard really good things about it. And it's definitely going to probably be the shot in the arm that they need to make up for some of the duds that they've put out. Yeah, I mean, and some of the duds aren't necessarily duds like Forspoken it's mixed reviews for it's example a, uh, they're not going to make the money that they put it, into it no it's not um, or that <laughs> they wanted it to make yeah least. well they got those dollars from Sony to make it exclusive right so <laughs> I mean, that made up for it right but yeah we'll see what happens with Square I'm kind of excited and intrigued and kind of disappointed in the future with them I think they're going to get acquired by Sony though sooner or later I mean, if this Activision deal goes through, I'm guessing it will for sure. Oh. I'm guessing they'll buy them. If yeah, if this deal goes through, Sony is going to go on a like buying spree at that point. Every single small developer they can, yeah, uh, and big ones as well, just to kind of combat that. I mean, you're going to see so much consolidation in the market moving forward. It's going to be ridiculous, and it, it'll probably go back to a battle of exclusives if you think yeah. about it like microsoft console saying, wars are coming back folks i i mean they've been here but i think they're going to be getting pretty bloody here pretty soon all right inflation deflation we played the vectrix uh we played a hacked multi-cart uh this week i don't know if you had the full name uh on there but the vectrix was developed by smith engineering it was manufactured by uh general consumer electronics from 1982 to 1983 and then milton bradley from 83 to 84. uh it was released in 82 obviously uh and the vectrix itself is and we've covered this before but it's pretty much an at-home arcade it's um you know a vector-based uh, system a uh, little tube TV, essentially, that's encased. And um, it's got a little controller that's built in with four buttons and a little joystick. So you can have the arcade at home on your desk if you wanted to. Uh, it is pretty cool. They've got, for each game, they have um, kind of like a, a screen, like an inlay that you can put in for each respective game. I've only got four or three, technically, that are for one for each game. And uh, each game, you just put the screen on there, and it kind of changes things up. You might have different, like a blue screen or a red screen, and it just kind of helps balance the game out and makes it look better. Uh, we did post it a little... It gives you, like, what the buttons do and, like, little boxes for, yeah. like, score indicators and stuff. It just adds, like, color and context and... To black and white. just <laughs> makes the games seem that much more different. It's really a clever way to, you know, make it so you can get around the limits of what the console can do with just being able to create different levels of white light. 
Yeah. Like you can get some gray, you can get some white, and that's about all you can get. Uh, we tried to put one of the filters on one of the games, and it made it a little bit harder because some of the little gray dots did not look as good as little gray red dots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so the multi-cart that we played, uh, I got... I think April last year or like December the year before, like 2021 or April 2022. Can't remember fully, but... So, yeah, uh, it's yeah, called the on. Vetrix Multicart 3.0, and it uh, has a copy for Sean Kelly from 2017 on it. Yeah, so guy that made it, basically. 30-game multicart. Yeah, I want to say I got the other one, but either way, it's the same deal, right? 30 games, 35 games, price is about the same. Um, so we played a few games on there. We, uh, there, now I did notice there was a few games that didn't boot up for us, which I did find interesting on the cart. So at first I was like, oh crap, is my Vectrix broken? But we started playing more games and they loaded up no problem. So you sort of bedlam on there, which is like, that was actually pretty cool. So it's like these different shapes that you kind of start with a triangle that goes out to like four points of the star, five pointed star, et cetera. I think up to six and you have like these, uh, landmines essentially in like space that are going through towards your like center area where you have like a horseshoe that shoots out laser beams right. and you have to destroy them <laughs> as fast as you can. It looks like a horseshoe. You're horrible at explaining these. So you're a turret in the center Is that of what a that six-sided was? star. It looks like a horseshoe. And objects are coming in from the points of the star towards the center. Yeah. That's and you have to that. shoot out to destroy them. I said that. Yeah, but you said it in such a weird way. Yeah, it's a horseshoe. It's a horseshoe turret. <laughs> it looks like a horseshoe, dude. Like it seriously did. But you're not literally a horseshoe. Why would a horseshoe be I said shooting? A thing that looks like a horseshoe and you're shooting laser beams. And how do you know it's a turret? A s- Maybe because it's not a it turret. doesn't move. Uh, well, a turret is a stationary. As far gun as I platform. know, it goes in a full 360 degrees in lots of circles and can go fast and slow. <laughs> Either way, we had some fun getting some points racked up from that and going to each respective level until we. Played the On next the game. harder difficulties, too, oh, the star rotated, which made it like really hard. But it was a uh, it was a fun game, I guess. You know, a lot of these games are pretty simple, like that. It's just like, all right, get points by shooting things, and do you move? Do the things move? Like that's basically what changes from game to game. Yeah. Um, the next one we played. I mean, I guess I don't know exactly what order we played them in, but um, Berserk was a game where you have uh you start off on a map you're a little guy there's a bunch of little like either robots or alien guys walking around uh you can shoot in all eight directions around you and the enemies i believe they can only shoot like straight on because they never were really shooting at angles but if you touch the walls or they touch the walls you die you get shot or they get shot they die and it seems like once you clear everything off you get a point bonus and if you're on a screen for too long, this kind of like, almost like the angry son from Mario comes out and he's just invincible and he just tries to chase you down and kill you. But you're probably just supposed to go from screen to screen, surviving as long as you can, killing as many enemies as possible. Yeah, rack up points, basically. Um, What was the one that we played that was really good? There was a few. Uh, Castle, what was it? Uh, let me pull up the list. Uh, you you pulled up like best Vectrix. Oh, Fortress of Narzad. Fortress of Narzad was awesome. So, this one was way more of a 3D game. You have kind of like a corridor coming down that has a slight angle in it. You are at the bottom of the screen as like a ship or tank or something, trying to move forward and go to the end of that corridor as it spawns enemies out. You have to destroy all the enemies before you can progress through to the end of that corridor and they'll move up the screen towards you. But your bullets will bounce off of walls and if you shoot straight down the corridor and hit the door on the other end, your bullet will bounce back towards you. Your bullets are live to kill you as well. So you can't really just get straight on shots. You have to continuously kind of dodge to the side banking your bullets off of the walls trying to hit enemies or trying to hit enemies straight on while avoiding bouncing bullets back at yourself and the enemies coming at you and their bullets as well. And just a a point of reference here for everybody is that these games, um, I think most of them, if not all, uh, were released on arcades as well. So it's not like they're exclusive to the Vectrix. Yeah, they're arcade at-home adaptations, a lot of them. And fantastic. Yeah. Uh, What else do we have on there? What else Um, do we play? 
We also played, uh, the last game we played was Pole Position, which is a classic racing game. It looked really good. Uh, it ran really well. Sounded good, too. Yeah, I mean, for something as simple as just, like, white lines, you actually got, like, a pretty decent sense of momentum and speed. And while there's not a lot of place, really, the mountains, the road, like, it was very much trying to set that feeling up of being a place and having a setting and being more context. A lot of the games where it's just, like I said, white lines on a black background, it's hard to feel much for it. But this definitely had those simple elements come together in a very good way. So uh, the other game that we played that I really liked was Spike. And so Spike is actually a platformer featuring a, oh. a, a hedgehog, actually. Darn! That's a hedgehog, if you didn't That's realize a hedgehog? It. This yeah. proto-sonic? It looks, it looks like a cat, but it's actually a hedgehog. I forgot, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, just the idea there is, like, you have these platforms that are kind of going side by side, like, in different it's directions. And even, you... like, 2D, either. It's kind of like, they recede at an angle. You're, like, the whole... It's like, imagine, like, a Mario, like, climbing the ladder level... But somebody kind of just like pushed the right side of the TV so that it was just kind of slightly angled looking at you. Yeah. And so you have these like ladders uh, or a ladder that you can warp from location to location, climb up the platforms and hop from platform to platform and uh, get a key and open a door, obviously, to progress throughout the game. And then, of course, as you continue going, it gets harder as like things are flying towards you. It moves faster. Um, there's things you can collect, etc. It's kind and of, of like course, Frogger Mario mixed together because you're always trying to progress across the screen from bottom to top. Well, you mean Donkey while Kong, timing. right? You mean Donkey, Donkey Kong, Kong yeah. and Frogger, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. It, and it was a lot of fun. Like, we got pretty hooked on that one, actually. And just it hearing, has like, voice acting. It has a yeah. little cutscene that plays out before each of the levels. Uh huh. And it's like, which Spike. is the same one over and over. Yeah, you hear just hear Spike. And I'm like, oh no, and darn it. And yeah, if yeah. you die, he's just like, darn it. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty cool. I actually enjoyed that one quite a lot. There's so much, like, on this system that is so ahead of what. I would imagine looking at it. Like when you look at it and you start it up, you're like, oh, cool. Something that will probably play Pong. But there's way more going on there. Yeah. And it's cool. I mean, it's just, they're fun. They're quirky games. They're fun. Uh, you know, and I don't have to go to the arcade to play a bunch of games now because I got a multi-cart and I can just play those games. Next step is hacking my uh, 1UP arcade yeah. and just loading that up with fun arcade games. So. So for the Vectrix, this is what we kind of did. I broke it down for first the console. So right now, the console going complete in box would be pretty impressive to have. That's going 892.73. Which that peaked, I, I do have. <laughs> yeah. That peaked at 1465.25 back in April 2022. Jeez. Uh, Loose will run you 423.62, and that peaked at 528.43. Also back in 2022. The multi-cart that John got, that's going for 50 bucks. So if we take a look at the games that we played today, if we were looking at them loose. Berserk, 2147. Um, let's see here. Fortress of Narzad, 3583. Uh, Bedlam, 2932. Uh, pole Position, 6250. And Spike 3980. So each one of those games, you know, individually, except for uh, pole position, less than 50. But, you know, all together, like, definitely more than $100. Yeah. And Vectrix games are not, like, the most common games to come across. So definitely worth it uh, to get that multi-card. I'm very happy I picked it up. Next step is to get all of the inlays. So yeah. there's somebody that has made third-party inlays. Uh, to play each respective game. So I I think that's the next step for me, man. To... Everything's totally playable without them. You can look them up online to get an idea of like what all the buttons are going to be for and to get an idea of like the sense of what it would show you. Like a lot of the games like on um, Bedlam, the first one. So your maximum area you'll be playing in is like a six-sided star. Yeah. But it starts off as just one triangle and then it adds in each one for like each new level so looking at the overlay you kind of get a sense of where the game is going to go 
before you even get there. Yeah. But also when that starts rotating in the later <laughs> levels, like that's going to be a little bit different than how you were used to because that overlay is a stationary thing. Um, so it was a very unique way to kind of overcome those obstacles and give that context, but not necessarily a, you know, a fits all solution. A lot of them are really just, here's some score box outliners and here's a color for the screen so that it's not just one color. Do you recall when we played the Vectrix last time? Like it was obviously at my old house. Um, I'm just kind of curious. Uh, I guess if I sort by most viewed on YouTube for us, it'll come up here pretty quick. Uh, there it is. So, <laughs> dude, we played the Vectrix on episode 47. Yeah, I knew it was a long time ago. That was our best going episode for a long time. It had our most hits. Yeah. Probably just because not many people really talk about the Vectrix. No, I mean, I, it's a very small community as far as I know. It's an amazing console. Obviously, the, you know, limit of price and availability are huge on something like this. You know, it's not something that everybody's really going to be able to get their hands on and definitely not at what you would determine a reasonable cost. But it really is something. If you ever have a chance to mess around with one, play it and play a couple of the games. If you, you know, the multi-card is definitely worth investing in. I think the controller for it is surprisingly nice. The screen is great. Like the fact that it's kind of an all-in-one kind of thing is very cool. Yeah. Now, if it goes out on you, whew, good luck fixing it. Uh, there's people out there that can help you that are like fix arcade cons. I would cabinets. love a Vectrix Mini. That would be pretty cool. I think so. I mean, yeah, I mean, the real cool thing about the Vectrix is really just the vectors, the vector aspect of it, yeah. right? And you know what I'm talking about if you go to an arcade and you play a vector-based arcade or you play a standard arcade. Like, there's a clear difference in what you're playing. And uh, they're, they're just cool. Like, they're just super cool. So... I love playing this console. I'm happy we did it. Uh, next week, uh, well, we've already played our game for next week, but we played some Eldest Souls on the PS5. Super pumped about that one. Really excited to talk about that one next week. Uh, but this has been episode 225 of the Game of Flavors podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>